Chapter Two, Part Seven of Commentary on the Gospel of John, Book Ten, by Cyril of Alexandria, translated by Reverend Thomas Randall. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Twenty-four. If I had not done among them the works which none other did, they had not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. Christ none the less shows by these words that no excuse was left to the Jews why they should not encounter the doom of punishment and meet irretrievable damnation. For clearly nothing that could profit them is left undone, as both a long discourse is vouchsafed them which might easily have put them on the way of salvation, and miracles were shown to them which no one in the world had ever seen before for what saint ever vied with the saviour in working miracles as then the desire of honouring him was so far repugnant to the jews that they even preferred to hate him in the impiety of their minds will not the burden of the charge weigh most grievously upon them for it would be better for them that they should never have heard his wise words or witnessed his unspeakable wonder-working power for perhaps then they might have devised some such specious plea as this for pardon we never heard any of the truths essential to salvation nor did we see anything to induce faith in us but since it was not from one of the holy prophets but from christ himself who came from above and was sent to us that they got their information and since they also saw strange miracles with their own eyes for christ opened the eyes of the blind although no other man had ever before been able to do this what can excuse the madness of the jews or what plea can extricate them from punishment for though they had heard and seen they hated both the son and the father they both dishonoured the word sent from the father through the son and also rejecting the honour due to the works of the divine nature stood convicted of glaring impiety against the entire nature of god which was the agent for the father himself certainly co-operated with the son when he worked his wonders not as doing marvellous works by an external instrument but as being in the son through the identity of their nature and the immutability of their substance the wretched jews then showed ingratitude and lie under grievous charge of gross contumacy since they held as of no account the incomparable teaching of the saviour and besides dishonoured through the son and in the son the nature of the father although that nature was shown to be the worker of exceeding great miracles to them which ought to have drawn and attracted the most stubborn and unteachable into ability to think what was right and what conduced to the glory of god twenty five but this cometh to pass that the word may be fulfilled that is written in their law they hated me without a cause and he shows clearly that this was not unforeseen by the law which predicted all that was come to pass but we say that it was not for this reason that the law predicted these latter days that the jews when they visited with hatred both the father and the son might be convicted of injustice but inasmuch as they were destined to be so hated by them the divine and sacred law presaged it 
showing that the spirit was in no way ignorant of the future for it was written in the book of psalms as spoken by the person of christ as rebuking the madness of the jews and saying they hated me with an unjust hatred for surely the hatred was unjust certainly they were exasperated against him without a cause who so far from having their hatred justified in regard at any rate to the character of the works that were done among them ought rather to have loved him with surpassing devotion and have delighted in a willingness to follow him for let any one who wishes to excuse the disobedience of the jews come forward and tell us what ground for hatred any one could have against him was any one of the works of christ deserving of hatred or enmity his deliverance of them from death and corruption his emancipation of them from the tyranny of the devil and destruction of the dominion of sin and restoration of that which was enslaved to sonship with god his lifting up into righteousness by his love of mankind and forgiveness of injuries those who were dead in sin his allowing them to participate in the holy spirit and the divine nature and throwing open unto us even the dwelling-place of the holy angels and granting men an access unto heaven how was it just that he who provided and ordained all this for us should incur hatred and not rather be requited by the silence of unspoken thanksgivings and with the boon of ceaseless gratitude at our hands nothing however could i think convert the stubborn jew to willingness to think aright for he hated without a cause him whom he ought rather to have loved with his whole heart and adorned with the honour of obedience but herein our lord well shows that he was not unaware of the stubborn temper of the jews but had foretold and foreknew that it would be so with them but still treated them with mildness and forgiveness as became his divine nature for he said before them ill-suited as they were to receive it the word which called them to salvation even to confirming the confession of their faith by miracles if there were any men among them of a good and suitable disposition herein too he gives his disciples no small benefit to the intent that in a forgiving spirit they might extend the preaching of salvation even to those who offered them insult and might even in this be seen to walk in the track of that excellence which first was conspicuous in him for if there be any good thing it is seen in christ first and shown to usward and from him all blessings flow twenty six twenty seven but when the comforter is come whom i will send unto you from the father even the spirit of truth which proceedeth from the father he shall bear witness of me and ye also bear witness because ye have been with me from the beginning when he says that both he himself and his father were hated by the perverse jews this hatred of theirs being gratuitous and without justification he with good reason makes mention of the spirit he thus at once adds to the word the completion of the holy trinity and also shows that it was dishonoured 
to the intent that the spectators of his miracles who were guilty of insult against the son might also be convicted of treating with contumely the power which so far excels every substance not only by refusing to accept christ even though he had worked great miracles to convince them but also by their actions against him for they treated him with an impiety which is shocking even to think of and yet one might say o senseless jew christ was a worker of wonders before you far exceeding the glory of moses and the glory of every saint for the saying of the lord if i had not done among them the works which none other did brings back a thought before our minds while then you crown with honours so illustrious moses the servant and minister of lesser things than these you do not blush when you so perversely reject him who is immeasurably superior and a worker of far nobler deeds even though he brought to their long foretold fulfilment the oracles given by moses and terminated the shadow by the truth our lord jesus christ therefore of necessity joined the mention of the spirit to that of himself and the father and he also shows what has been said to be true that is if any one chooses to hate the son he will also utterly contemn the father from whom he proceeds and how or in what way consider further for observe when calling the comforter the spirit of truth that is his own he says that he comes from the father for as the spirit naturally belongs to the son being in him and proceeding through him so also he belongs to the father but the qualities of their substance cannot be distinct where the spirit is common to both let not then any of those who are accustomed impiously to employ the language of folly lead us to the perverted opinion that the son executing as it were a kind of ministerial service vouchsafes the spirit that is received from the father to the creature for some have not scrupled perversely to say this but it is more consistent to believe that since the spirit belongs to him as he also certainly belongs to god the father he sends him to his holy disciples to sanctify them for if they think that in making the son in this also a minister and servant to us they form and utter a shrewd conception surely it follows that we say to them ye fools and blind do you not perceive that you are going back and diminishing the glory of the only begotten when you string together miserable sophistries from the ignorance that is in you for if the son ministers the spirit from the father being ranked as a servant surely it is necessary to admit that the spirit is utterly different in essence from him and perhaps his superior and far above him if the case be as you and your ignorance suppose for if the son does not proceed from the father that is from his essence as you think surely the spirit when compared with the son would be regarded as superior to him what then say we when we hear christ himself saying of the spirit he shall glorify me for he shall take of mine and shall declare it unto you 
now besides what has been mentioned this also will necessarily follow for if you consider that the son performs a ministerial service providing us with that which is of another nature that is the spirit proceeding from god the father which is naturally holy the son is not by nature holy but only by participation as we are for by the ignorance of the impious he is declared to be different in substance from the father from whom also the spirit provided unto us by him proceeds it will then be possible since the spirit does not belong to the son but he himself is sanctified by adoption as is the case with the creature that he may fall away from the holiness that is in him for that which has been acquired as an addition might surely be removed at the pleasure of him who has bestowed it who then will not flee away from such doctrines as these i think however that our statement is more conformable to the truth the truth then is dear to us as are the dogmas expressing the truth and we will not follow those heretics but pursuing the faith handed down by the holy fathers we declare that the comforter that is the holy spirit belongs to the son and is not introduced from outside nor acquired in his case as he is in that of those who receive sanctification and whom though not originally an aid he is implanted but that the son is of one substance with the spirit as also he is with the father for if we take this view the power of the doctrines of the church will not be reduced in our case to a polytheistic mythology but the holy trinity is united in the doctrine of a single divinity showing then that there is a unity of substance i mean that of himself and god the father in the same being in saying that the comforter is the spirit of truth he declares that he proceeds from the father and makes plain and beyond contradiction that the opposer of christ is wholly at enmity with god for he who in any degree allows himself to contemn the son may be reasonably considered to transgress against him from whom he proceeds when then he says the comforter the spirit of truth that is my spirit which proceeds from the father is come he will testify of me and how will he testify by working marvels in you and by you he will be a just and true witness of my godlike authority and of the greatness of my power for he that works in you is my spirit and as he is my spirit so also is he that of god the father therefore it is necessary to consider that they who to confirm our faith work marvels in us by the one good spirit are alike insulted in the person of christ in whom dwelt as paul says no mere part of the ineffable divine nature but all the fullness of the godhead bodily but when the spirit bears witness you yourselves also he says will bear witness with him for you have been eye-witnesses and spectators of what i have done among my own being even with me as my disciples 16 
1. These things have I spoken unto you, that ye should not be made to stumble. The Saviour, having clearly set before his disciples the madness of the Jews, was perhaps about to add to what he had said, that these misguided men would reach such a height of disobedience, and so stubbornly refuse to listen, and in their cowardice advance so far in hatred of God, that even if there should be two witnesses of his glory, they would decline to admit it. And this, though the law openly declares that whatever is testified by two or three witnesses should be believed and received as unquestionably true. But he avoids mentioning this on the present occasion for good reasons. For his statement would thus have produced in them an immoderate grief, and breaking the hearts of his disciples even to despair would have made the entrance of faint-heartedness and cowardice into their hearts absolutely certain for they might reasonably have questioned among themselves if the masses of the jews would not only lend to no one a complete obedience but also set at naught the comforter though he astonished them with marvels passing description and in spite of this would actually afterwards be found as guilty of hating christ as they were before and in hating him of hating the father what necessity was there for spending their labour in vain why should they not rid themselves of their troubles and choose silence in preference to teaching men unwilling to hear knowing then in all likelihood the thoughts that would agitate his disciples he skilfully conceals what was too grievous to be told and what would have been calculated to produce cowardice and faint-heartedness in the duty of teaching but he rightly turns the drift of his speech into an exhortation to hold themselves in readiness and make vigorous preparation for the results that might be expected to follow in the future for whatever comes to men suddenly and unexpectedly is likely to disturb even the mind that is stable. For the reception of that, the advent of which has been anticipated, the way is made smooth and its burden is lightened, since it has been already foreseen, and lost its edge by the expectation of certain suffering. Something of this kind, I think, Christ wishes to signify, for if he says i have already worked such marvels even before your eyes the comforter also will work marvels in you and if the headstrong madness of the jews is not diminished and their conduct is the same as before and even worse be not offended he says when you find yourselves its victims but keep ever in mind my words a disciple is not above his master nor a servant above his lord. 2. They shall put you out of the synagogues, yea, the hour cometh, that whosoever killeth you shall think that he offereth service unto God. He extends his forewarning of danger to that which is the most dreadful of all terrors, but not with the intention of arousing in his disciples an unmanly panic for this would not harmonize with his anxiety to stimulate them to a fearless proclamation of the heavenly message his object rather was that thrusting aside the extremity of fear as already anticipated and for this reason having lost its edge 
they might gain a complete victory over every evil and consider even the possible approach of intolerable evils as of no account whatsoever for what loss could the lesser evil inflict on those who do not even dread the greater and how could those who know how to be superior to the worst objects of fear be dismayed by any of the rest in order then that they might have their minds bent on enduring everything with a cheerful courage and to convince them of the necessity of so far withstanding the malice of the jews as not even to fear an immediate and cruel death he not only tells them that these things will continually happen and the devices or oppositions of the jews not be satisfied with merely turning them out of the synagogues but forewarns them that their impiety will reach such a height of cruelty as to make them consider their extreme inhumanity towards them to be the path of piety towards god it must be plain that those who held fast to the love of christ actually were cast out of the synagogues by the jews and endured this punishment at the outset of their work when we are told by the evangelist that nevertheless even of the rulers many believed on him but because of the pharisees they did not confess it lest they should be put out of the synagogue and again for the scribes and pharisees had agreed already that if any man should confess him to be the christ he should be put out of the synagogue but if he says any are indisposed to endure the malice of the jews let them then know that their devices against you will not stop here for be not at all alarmed he says even though you must endure this suffering their audacity will reach such a pitch of wickedness as to make them suppose your death to be as an actual service towards god and this we shall find happening in the case of the holy stephen the first of the martyrs and in that of the inspired paul for involving stephen in a charge of blasphemy and simulating herein the zeal that loves god they slew him by stoning him and some of the jews were so enraged against the holy and wise paul that they bound themselves under a curse neither to eat nor drink till they had slain him for we shall find this recorded in the acts of the holy apostles excellent then and profitable is his prediction moderating by anticipation their fear of what was dreadful and forging his disciples anew as having as it were already suffered into a courageous disposition for the foreknowledge in the minds of the sufferers of the dreadfulness of their danger will give them strength beforehand while it deprives the approach of evil of its power three and these things will they do because they have not known the father nor me he showed that the zeal of the jews was a zeal not according to knowledge as also paul says but that it had gone far astray and wandered out of the straight path even though according to the purpose that was in them it seemed to be manifested for the sake of god for these misguided men thought that by arming themselves with the command given by moses they pleased god the giver of the law and actually supposed 
that by opposing the prophetic utterances of christ they gained credit with him for it was for this reason that they persecuted so hotly the preachers of the message of the gospel but were ignorant that they were falling into every kind of folly and by their insults against the son were transgressing against god the father himself and further were convicted of complete ignorance of the nature of the father and that of the son who manifested himself from him and what is marvellous they were eager to crown moses the wisest of men who was a minister of the law given by angels with the highest honours but did not shrink from loading with the worst insults our lord jesus christ who expounded the unspeakable will of god and said clearly i do nothing of myself but the father which sent me he hath given me a commandment what i should say and what i should speak even though god the father worked marvels with him and testified by a voice heard from above this is my beloved son in whom i am well pleased it is then unquestionable that if any one should choose bitterly to assail those who convey the divine message he will be in complete ignorance of the undivided and consubstantial trinity for such an one when he excludes from the honour that is his due the word manifesting himself from him to suit his own conceit knows not the father for would it not be received as an assured truth by those who are able discreetly to deal with the doctrine of the trinity that since he is of the same substance with the father he will speak in absolute conformity with the will of the father and that as he partakes in his glory the dignity of the father will be equally insulted when he is attacked in these words then the lord jesus christ defends himself and also accuses the audacity of the jews fastening thereby a bitter and dreadful censure on those who dishonour him by their cruelty towards the holy apostles for the charge of transgression will not merely have reference to the saints but will mount up to him who laid upon them the service of apostleship just as god said unto the holy samuel concerning the children of israel they have not rejected thee but they have rejected me most dangerous is it then to refuse to bestow on the saints the honour which is their due for the charge of transgression against them will mount up to him who gave them their mission for but these things have i spoken unto you that when their hour is come ye may remember them how that i told you he contends that mention has been made to them of these things for no other reason except that they might know that meeting for his sake the assaults of sin they would at all events gain glory therefrom for i have not foretold it unto you he says from any wish to enfeeble your courage or to inspire in you a premature alarm by the anticipation of suffering but rather to give you foreknowledge in order that by this means you may derive a double benefit for in the first place remembering that i forewarned you you will marvel at my foreknowledge and the time of peril will itself conduce to complete the security of your faith 
for he who knows the future must be by nature god and bring this too to your recollection he who is prepared and knows beforehand that he will suffer will have his fear much diminished for he will readily overcome all that seems to be dreadful and will have his mind undisturbed even in the midst of troubles for i think the sudden and unexpected advent of suffering sharpens its sting and for this reason the psalmist says i was prepared and was not dismayed he bids his disciples then for a good and necessary reason to remember that he has foretold unto them the future for it was certain that on this account they would believe him to be the true god for omniscience is peculiar to the true god and they will readily believe that he will extricate them from their dangers five six and these things i said not unto you from the beginning because i was with you but now i go unto him that sent me and none of you asketh me whither goest thou but because i have spoken these things unto you sorrow hath filled your heart another necessary and useful consideration entered into the mind of christ for it was beyond question that called as they had been to discipleship at the beginning by him and living ever in continual converse with him and having often had experience of his miracles and having laid to heart his incomparable might and power they thought they would overcome every trial and at once triumph over perils of every kind for how could they any longer entertain doubt and be fainted heart after they had experienced the support of one who had such power and inasmuch as christ forewarned them that they would fall into unexpected perils with the intent that they might not be much dismayed thereby reflecting within themselves and saying have we then been disappointed of the hopes we had at first and has our purpose failed inasmuch as we thought that we were called to partake of every blessing but in the end find ourselves involved in unexpected calamities our lord then is compelled to expound to them the reason why he did not forewarn them at first and says these things i said not unto you from the beginning because i was with you for while he was with them he sufficed to preserve their peace of mind and to rescue them from every trial and to afford them suitable instruction and assistance in all that might befall them but since he was going to the father he suitably and at the fitting time expounds to them the inevitable approach of what awaited them in the future for if even we ourselves are very anxious not to miss the fitting time surely this would be god's pleasure the time then for silence was at the beginning when the need for their receiving this instruction had not yet arisen but when he was going to the father the time for speech had arrived did the saviour then separate from his disciples when he ascended to the father and was he still with them by the working and power and grace of the spirit how or in what way was he with them for it is beyond question that he cannot lie when he says lo i am with you alway even unto the end of the world except so far as the flesh and his bodily presence were concerned but the saviour knew that the ascent to heaven of his own flesh 
was most essential to his human nature but as god he well knew that the heart of his disciples was overwhelmed by the bitterness of their sorrow for the departure of christ was very grievous unto them because they longed to be ever with him but since he had resolved to do this they do not even ask when or for what reason he will leave them or what is the motive or inducement of his ascension he sympathizes then with their suffering as it proceeded from love and with their ill-timed preference of silence which did not allow them to inquire the reason for his departure although to know it would bring them much profit end of chapter two part seven